Thanks, Nigel. It's great that we're able to gather here this evening, and we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. We're continuing our series, so if you're in the hall or online or in the meeting house here with us, please do open your Bible with me to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 12 through to verse 21. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through to 21 this evening. So this is God's word to us, and therefore we know we can trust it completely. Verse 12 of chapter 3. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that, that, you are, that also to you, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, Join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is in their belly, and their glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Amen. And we thank God for His Word to us. If you have your Bible, please do keep it open with me as we make our way through this passage this evening. So, in 2010, I left Portadown College to join Queen's University or to attend Queen's University, and that meant swapping rugby clubs. I had previously played for Portadown College, and now I was going to play for Queen's University. Now, at this stage of my development, I was about 18 and a half or 19 stone, okay, so I was carrying a little bit of weight, and the training sessions at Queen's were slightly more extreme than those at Portadown College. Whenever you would turn up at Queen's and start to play rugby at Queen's, well, there was a warm-up before even training started. And the warm-up, well, the warm-up was equivalent to a whole session at Portadown College, so by the time the warm-up was over, I was done. And one of our coaches was called Doki, and Doki happened to be one of the Ulster coaches at the time, so that sort of sets the standard that he had in mind. And this phrase will haunt me the rest of my life. We'd be going through drills. It would be the warm-up still. We'd be going through drills, and Doki would be shouting at me, John, get on your bike. <laughs> and I'm like, Doki, I'm going as quickly as I can go here, right? I, I'm running as hard as I can go. John, get on your bike. Get on your bike. Keep moving. Keep pushing. Drag yourself around the pitch. Keep going. And as I was reading chapter 3, of Philippians. Look at verse 12. You can imagine Paul saying spiritually, get on your bike. Get up on your bike. Get moving. Keep going. Keep striving forward. Keep pursuing. Don't stop. And what is he encouraging us to 
get on our bike for, to keep going, to keep moving, to keep pursuing after? Well, it's the holiness, holiness in Christ. It's being like Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about holiness. He says, it's not something to be received in a meeting, but it is a life to be lived. In other words, it's slow and low. It's a long process. It's a lifelong process being conformed and made into the image of Jesus. So, what's the goal of this life? Well, if you have your Bible there, you'll see it in verse 8 of chapter 3. Paul says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then at the end of it, he says that I may gain Christ. You see, the end goal, the, 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 the context to this, the thing that we're striving after is holiness, and it's Jesus. It's to know Him, to love Him, to be in relationship with Him, to understand Him in a deeper, truer way. And so Paul in this passage is like the sprinter who has his eyes firmly fixed on the finish line, or the marathon runner who has his eyes firmly fixed on the finish line. He is single-minded. Chapter 1, verse 21, remember? To live is Christ, to live Christ, and to die again. And so Paul pursues a deepening relationship with the Lord. What a goal. What a pursuit. What an amazing desire. And so for Paul, there's no sitting back, no coasting along. He is relentless, relentless in pursuing Jesus. The question I have for us this evening is, does that sound like the Christianity that we know? Does it sound like the middle-class, comfortable Christianity that we have become familiar with? Or to ask it a different way, we become a Christian and everything's new and shiny, and we maybe go down to the Faith Mission or ICM or other reputable bookstores that you can go to in Northern Ireland, and you get a new Bible, and you maybe get some new books and some Bible reading notes, and it's all new, it's all shiny, it's all different. But what about now, whenever the honeymoon period is over, the novelty is gone, perhaps someone in this church has disappointed you, perhaps the church has hurt you, how are you getting on now in the Christian life? Discouraged maybe, tired, worn out, in need of a spiritual hug. Maybe you're in need of a kick or a prod. All in different places in our discipleship. But the key question is this. Now that I'm saved, now that I've been justified, that I'm right with Jesus, where do I go? What do I do now? What does Christianity look like for me? And so we find out that, and in this passage, Paul's trying to explain that our, our conversion has happened. That's a, a, a transaction that has happened, a time and a moment. We're united to Jesus, justified. But our sanctification, a big word that just means being made more like Jesus, being made holy, well, that's what Paul has in mind here in this passage. It's a lifelong process of knowing, loving, and living for Jesus. And so really it boils down to this. How do I live for Jesus in my Monday through Sunday? How do I live for him? What does it look like to follow Jesus in my workplace, in my home, in my relationships, in our marriages, in our, in our parenthood, in our school? What does it look like to follow Jesus in the everyday? Well, it takes work. And perhaps here tonight you're thinking, John, great. <laughs> we have arrived in the church 
and you're just about to condemn me and pile loads of weight on top of me and make me feel really bad because I'm not fit and I can't get on my bike and I really don't have the energy to do all of this. Well, you need to know tonight, Christian brothers and sisters, that there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. But tonight, what may happen in our hearts is that the Holy Spirit may convict us. And that's a good thing. Because as He convicts us, that's evidence that He is working in our lives. And it's evidence that He loves us. So, have we lost our direction? Have you lost sight of the goal? Have you got disorientated in your faith? Are you not pressing on like Paul talks about here? Maybe you've started to pursue something else, something other than Jesus. You're no longer magnifying Him or exalting Him. Well, Paul recaps just exactly what we need in these verses. And so he says the Christian life is one of movement, constant progress. Here's the trajectory. It's towards Jesus. There's something wrong if we're not being made into the image of Jesus. We have to think like Him and act like Him and respond like Him, being changed one day at a time. And we've got to make this distinction really clear, right? I want to make it really clear for each of us that our justification is settled. Who we are in Jesus, that is settled. It's not about working, or working up ourselves or trying to save ourselves. That's not what sanctification is. It's so different. Our sanctification, our, 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 our pursuit of knowing Jesus is something that flows out of our justification. And so whenever we are saved, whenever we are converted, it's only the beginning. That's only the beginning of the Christian life. So often I think we go to missions and we hear the gospel preached and it's like you get across the line, you, you, you're converted, you put your trust in Jesus, and that's it, done. Everything's settled. It's only the beginning. And so we see it in Paul, right? We see it in his desire here tonight. He says it's only the beginning of what it means to live and to be a human, to be designed in the image of God, to go forward and to fulfill the creation mandate, to rule and to reign, to bring order to chaos, to work, to enjoy, to multiply, to exalt Him. And that's why Paul's so passionate here, to strive forward for Jesus. So what's his context? Well, Paul's been converted. He has a new purpose in life, and that is to know Jesus, to see Jesus as precious, to treasure Him, to prize Him, to savor Him. And so again, Verses, uh, chapter 3 and verses 7 verse eight, and verse 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. So how does this work out in our lives? How do we live for Jesus 24-7, 365 days of the year? Well, we're going to see three things here tonight. The call of Christ, the contradiction against Christ, and then the citizenship in Christ. The call of Christ, the contradiction against Christ, and the citizenship in Christ. So firstly, the call of Christ, and this is verses 12 through 17. 
whenever I went to primary school, I went to Richmond Primary School, and every year at Cascade Swimming Pool, there was a swimming gala. And we were a small country primary school, so we were always up against it. And the big schools always won. Moy Allen and Mullavilly always won. And they had the great delight of throwing their headmaster or their school teacher into the water. And we never got to do that. We always wanted to do it at Richmond, and we could never do it. And we would train, and we would train, and we would train. Week after week, we'd go along to the swimming pool, and uh, two of our teachers, one would st stand at one side of the pool, one would stand at the other. They'd have their stopwatches, and they would call us, right? They would, they would beckon us to come down the swimming pool as hard as we could, keep going. Keep striding forth, keep taking another big deep breath and a big kick and a final surge. And for some of us in school, the coach, our coaches, our school teachers would use a gentle word of encouragement, and for others it would be a more harsh word to keep going. And so tonight as we hear this call, the call of Christ that we see in this passage, for some of us it will be a gentle call, and for some of us here tonight it may be more forceful. One of the commentators says that the, the tone of this passage is an exhorting tone. Verse 15, think this way, or in the Greek, have this attitude. Exercise your mind, direct your mind. And so Paul has an, an aggressive effort. He's exerting an aggressive effort of pursuing personal holiness, to run on, to catch up with, to run ahead. And so we have this image of the runner widening his stride, pumping his arms, accelerating his legs, pushing out his chest for the finish line. That's what Paul is trying to get across. And what does it imply to us? It implies that this church at Philippi had become complacent, that they'd grown lukewarm towards the Lord. They'd cooled off in their relationship. And so Paul comes as an encouragement to them. Verse 14 I keep going. I keep pushing on towards the voice. And what is the voice? What is the call? Do we see it there? Verse 14. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Father holding out His arms, calling us, keep coming, keep your eyes on me, keep your eyes on heaven, all the things of this world, all the distractions, all the struggles, all the things that will seek to take you down a different path. Don't look at them. Look at me. Listen to my voice. Keep following me. And so, friends, tonight, we want to be content in our justification, but constant in our sanctification. Until the day that the Lord calls us home, or until He returns, constant in pressing on after Jesus. So, verse 12, I press on. Verse 13, I forget what lies behind. doesn't matter what hurdles I've had in the past. doesn't matter what failures I've had in the past. doesn't matter what success I've had in the past. I don't worry about what's behind me. I keep my eyes focused forward. I don't worry about the train wreck behind me, where I've come from. I keep my eyes focused ahead. And verse 14, I press on to the goal one of the commentators says this, there is nothing in Scripture like this explosion of spiritual longing that Paul demonstrates in this passage. And so the Christian life, friends, is one of activity. It's dynamic. It's colorful. It's always evolving. Why? Because Jesus is always at work in our hearts. 
as we meet one another and we can meet one another again in a coffee shop and talk about Jesus, what's he doing in our hearts? It's not static. It's not stagnant. It's not like that pond of dirty water. It's fresh flowing water. Jesus is constantly doing something in our hearts, in our lives. He's constantly working out his purposes for us. And that should bring us joy, even whenever it's difficult. And so, the Christian life is not a life of passivity. We can't sit back. It's not dull. It's not boring. It's never completed. Instead, Jesus is always working in our hearts. As we thought about a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit is tap, tap, tapping away at our lives. And this is good news for us. No one here tonight can say that we have graduated from Christianity. We have not finished it. We cannot sit back. There are no reclining chairs on the road of Christian discipleship. There are hospital beds for the sick and for the wounded, yes, but no reclining chairs. There's no lazy river, no spa experience, no coasting, no gliding through, no slowing down, no stagnating. During lockdown, I decided to start running. I never thought I would ever do that. I would chase a ball all day, but go out and run by myself, not a hope. But I started to run, and I started to do 5Ks and 10Ks and sometimes even further. But there's this one day, I met this lady on the towpath between Portadown and, and Newry. I was nowhere near Newry. I was very close to the Portadown side. And uh, there was this lady, and I could see her. And she was an elderly lady, and she was dressed in her sports gear. And she was literally just going along like this pace, right? And I, I slowly caught up with her and passed her and said, it was a beautiful day. I said, beautiful day, isn't it? And she said, it's a beautiful day. But that image came to my mind. I was just thinking about this. Plodding on. Just keep going, step by step. She wasn't going anywhere quick, but she was going in the one direction, relentless, just moving in the one direction. And so for us, an, an example of what it should be like for us in the Christian life, just moving in the one direction, keeping going, no matter what age we are. Why? Well, look at the end of verse 12. And here's the wonder of the gospel, and Paul sprinkles it throughout this passage, the wonder of the gospel, the end of verse 12. We keep doing this. Why? Because Christ has made me His own. Christ has made me His own. There's this deep relational bond between Jesus and each of His followers that motivates us because we enjoy this sweet communion with Christ. And as we open up God's Word, we hear of Him, we see His heart on display, and as we read it and meditate on God's Word, we grow in our relationship. He has made us His own. And so, friends, tonight, imagine the Father with His hand open. And in verse 14, He calls to us, and it sharply focuses our eyes on Him, step by step, day by day, beckoning his children, like a father calling to his child. Whenever a child starts to take their first steps and they start to learn how to walk, and the father opens his arms, and the little one walks towards him, and then as they get a little bit older, they run towards him into the arms. And look at verse 17. What does Paul do? He invites us join with us. Join with me in imitating. Join with me in this pathway. Keep your eyes on the saints that are walking ahead of you. The people who are further down the track, keep your eyes on them, on the faithful people 
Keep your eyes on Christ and keep going. This is where chapter 1, verse 6 comes back in. I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. His grace is new every morning. So, knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, keep going after Jesus. But then comes the contradiction. Look at the contradiction. There's those who are against Christ, verse 18 and verse 19. There are those who go against this wonderful life, the beautiful life of being in relationship with Jesus, the sweetness of this life, the, the beauty of Christ, of knowing Him. And what, what's Paul's reaction to it all? Do you see it? He says, I, I have tears over these people. I cry over these people. These people who do not know Christ, they're enemies of the cross. And the commentators are all united in their belief that these are people who were actually claiming to be followers of Jesus. These are people who are on the outskirts of the church, who are, who are coming half in, half out. And Paul describes them as enemies, enemies of Christ. And he cries over them. He cries over them. I wonder are we moved in this place over those who haven't fully followed Jesus yet. And these people here tonight in this passage, they stand as a warning to us, to all of us who want to pack it in tonight. Don't pack it in. You keep going because your justification is secure. You're already united to Christ. He is enough for you. He will be enough. His grace is new every morning. And they stand as a warning to us as well as we thought about this morning, what are we living for? Luke chapter 12, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And what is it for these people? What do they live for if it's not Jesus, if they're not pursuing Jesus, going after Jesus, restless in pursuing Jesus, relentless in pursuing Him? What, what are they going after? Well, it hasn't changed. It's the same for us as it was for them. It's, for, it's food, he describes it as food, but it's all these other things as well, isn't it? It's money and power, it's, it's sex and it's fame, it's relevance, it's clothes, it's whatever it is for each of us. And so Paul uses this image of their God being in their belly. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Matilda. Do you know Bruce at the start of the film whenever he's eating the cake? That's the image that I have here, right? These people are, are scoffing food into them. Verse 19, their end is destruction. Their God is in their belly, and they glory in their shame with their mindset on earthly things. It's like a picture of people at a banquet, of fat, indulgent people who slap their food around them, who have it all over their hands and all over their face and all over their clothes, and they glory and they boast and they magnify the things of shame. They set their minds on earthly things. And they live their lives ignorant of what God has for them. It's the opposite picture of the running race, isn't it? These people who lie up. And Paul cries for them. That they would know the sweetness of knowing Jesus. Pursuing Him. Well, lastly, we come to the citizenship in Christ. The citizenship in Christ. Verse 20 uh, through to 4 verse 1. Here, he, he, Paul starts to show us that there's been a change of allegiance. And uh, uh, back to a sporting illustration tonight, we're in a sporting theme. I was thinking about whenever I eventually left Queen's University and I signed for Portadown Rugby Club, and this time you, your loyalty start to change. 
So once you were loyal to Queen's Rugby Club, now you're loyal to Portadown. And what happens is you put away the old kit, you take it off, you fold it up, and you get presented with a new kit, and you put the new kit on. And it's a weaning down of one and a growing into the other. It's a taking off of one and putting on of another. And so in verse 20, Paul reminds this church who they are. He reminds them of the kit that they have, that they are different, that they are not of this world. Look at verse 20, but our totally different from the people before. And so it's a reminder that our citizenship is not ultimately found in a flag. It's not in our Britishness or Irishness or our Northern Irish identity. Our citizenship is not a political thing. Our, our citizenship is a spiritual thing. And it brings us freedom. You see, Paul was not simply writing here to warn people who were in love with politics but he's warning people who are in love with this world. He wants them to realize to be a citizen of Jesus, to be belonging to him means that you're a servant of his, and that means that you're not a citizen or a servant of yourself. He wants us to see that this world isn't just a playground for our selfish desires, but a place to die and to live for Jesus. So John Piper summarizes all of this in two sentences. He says, a certain kind of Christian lives for God, dies to self, and lives forever. But this other kind of Christian, the one that's described about their God being in their belly, in their belly a Christian, he says, ultimately lives for self. They enjoy the world for a few decades, and then they die forever. See the difference? Living for God, death to self, and we live forever. Or we live for ourselves, enjoy this world, and die forever. So as we close tonight, if you're here and you are struggling to keep on going, well, Paul is saying, imagine this. Well, He's not really saying this, but this is how I imagine it. I managed to do a half marathon one day, and you know what kept me going in the last three, four, five K was the image of a Marge ice cream, right? That's all I had in my mind was a Marge ice cream. I was roasting, and that's all I could keep focused on, right? And that's what got me through. Paul's saying, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Whenever the pain kicks in, whenever the soreness in your body kicks in, that's why he points us towards this image of our bodies, verse 21. Whenever the struggles of this world presses in, whenever age gets to us and our bones ache and everything is sore and everything is difficult, he says, look, it's as bad as it's ever going to get. One day, look, one day you will be with your Savior. One day it will be far better. One day everything is going to be transformed. Verse 21, our lowly bodies will be like His glorious body. And so he says, keep your eyes focused on that. That's what will keep you going. Brother and sister here tonight, if you are struggling, dear brother, keep pressing on. And dear sister, keep going. Chapter 4, verse 1, stand firm in the Lord. So we know our citizenship. We see the contradiction, the other way to live, and we don't want to live like that. And we hear the call of our Father. And so this is a lifelong process, 
And it's a lifelong process that we must do together, all of us as a church family. Do you know what was lovely about that coach at Queen's? Even though he gave me a hard time, John, get on your bike. He always came and he always encouraged you. Put his arm around you. Said, well done. Good session tonight. Encouraged you on. And so tonight we want to be encouraged on in the faith. Encouraging one another. Keep going. Keep pressing on. If you're here tonight, or if you're watching online or in the hall, and you are not on this path, if you're not a believer yet, well, look at verse 17. Here's the best invitation for you. Come and join us. Join us as we press on after Jesus, the life that will satisfy you, not like the things of this world. Come and join with us as we press on after Jesus. Let's bow for a moment's prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you this evening that we will gather around the table and that we will know that we are secure in your Son, that he has saved us, that there's nothing that we could do that we could save ourselves. But Father, you do call us to press on after you, to keep our eyes focused on you, to strain forward, to become more like your Son. And so this Christian life is dynamic. It's always changing. It's always moving. It's exciting. Father, as you work in our hearts, as you reveal yourself to us in your word, Lord, help us. Help us tonight to be a group of people who pursue you, who want to know you deeper. That would be the goal of this church, of our meeting house, of of each person that gathers in here, that we want to know Christ truer and deeper. Father, help us to love you. Help us to die to self. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.